It's time for Blessed to Play on EWTN Radio, uncovering the role that faith plays in the lives of sports professionals from around the country. And now, here's your host, Ron Meyer. Fire score! My guest today is Major League Baseball pitcher Brent Suter. He spent the better part of seven seasons with the Milwaukee Brewers, and now... Well, he'll be playing in Colorado for the Colorado Rockies and uh, starting his journey there in in the Mile High City. Brent, it's so great to have you on. Thanks, Ron. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, an honor to be on here. So you have a very interesting journey, and I think uh, it's not conventional. You're you're sort of an anomaly because when you think of triple digits and pitchers throwing so hard, it seems like a hundred is the new nineties, but. Uh, you were, you're very crafty, obviously, and uh, there's been a number of terms associated with your pitching style, but it's been very effective. Talk about that as far as you graduated from Harvard and then you get drafted, but you're coming into the major leagues where it's, there's a lot of emphasis on power pitching and, uh, you know, it's, it's the sexy way of pitching, but uh, you chose a different path. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, I actually I threw harder in college, so it's funny. A bunch of my college teammates will see me pitch nowadays and be like, what the heck happened? You know I mean? My delivery is all hunched over. I'm not throwing as hard, but I'm throwing with weird movement. They're like, what, what happened? I was like, you know, what happened was just experimentation and seeing what worked and what didn't. Uh, and I found out pretty early on in my pro career that I wasn't ever going to have the velocity, just pure velocity to be able to blow it by guys with just straight, you know, or vertical movement. Uh, so I realized I had to get a little something different going. And, uh, that's why I kind of started leaning over a little bit and got me a little extra cut uh, on my fastball. And I realized when I you know, was able to ride, kind of throw a rising cutter, if you will, it was really kind of confusing to hitter. So been riding that pitch for the better part, like you said, of seven seasons in the big leagues and parts of 11 seasons in the minor leagues. Uh, and then just kind of developing pitches off of that. Um, you know, my changeup was really a big pitch for me last year. Uh, really working on the the two seam and, and slider this off season uh, to get weapons against lefties uh, that work better than the kind of the cutter away from them, which sometimes runs into their barrel. So, uh, yeah, it was just kind of a experimentation um, and trial and error thing, you know, session and big big old session in the minor leagues and major leagues of seeing what worked and what didn't. Now, as I mentioned, you're you're in the major league seven seasons now. I think it's fair to call you a veteran. How much is it in a cat and mouse game between you and the hitter at this point? You knowing their tendencies, uh, they knowing your tendencies. How does that pan out in the course of a season? Yeah, for sure. Uh, um, and it's definitely with individual guys who've seen you a bunch. It's, it's a cat and mouse game trying to surprise them or show them new looks so they don't can't just sit on pitches in certain counts and certain situations. Uh, but really, kind of the more you play in the in the league, it becomes kind of a cat and mouse game of the league. You know what I mean? So uh, this past year, the, they seemed like the league kind of caught up to my rise cutter. They started sitting on it uh, a little bit up in the zone and started, you know, maybe not necessarily barreling it, uh, but they were getting hits with it. And it was kept on, you know, getting runs scored. And I was like, well, I got to do something different. So I started going to the changeup more. And fortunately, I had developed it big time last off season, so it was ready to go but uh, I just had to throw way more than I'd had previously and uh, so that was kind of like a big big cat and mouse game with the league this year and uh, other stuff you know throughout throughout the course of my careers it's happened where it's you know whether it's base base running or them trying to tie me up just trying to constantly get uh, get ahead of the head of the curve so to speak with uh with hitters and base runners trying to you know mess up guys time and on the base pass end at the plate uh that's you know that's the name of pitching and you're just trying to mess up their time and trying to create confusion and uh try to get get some guys out 
Plus, to play Ron Meyer, we're chatting today with Brent Suter. He's currently pitching for the Colorado Rockies. It'll be his first season for the Rockies. And uh, talking about Colorado, it's not a pitcher's paradise, but I guess you could say Milwaukee wasn't either. But you had some experience pitching in the state. In fact, you pitched for the Colorado Springs Sky Sox, and you had a rather low ERA, Brent, uh, I believe 3.50 over your stint with the Colorado Springs uh, in AAA, and now you're you're still playing in the rarefied era this year. So is that, uh, how do you approach that? Is it, it's not intimidating, but it's not the ideal place to pitch in. Yeah, you know, um, it was, it, I credit Colorado Springs with kind of helping me get to the big leagues because I was able to put up decent numbers, whereas a lot of guys around me were struggling, so it kind of helped separate me and, and from the pack, if you, if you will, but uh I really found out that my, my cutter plays okay there. My cutter changeup com- combo plays okay there. So I was able to uh, still maybe not have the strikeout numbers up there, but uh, just trying to miss barrels. And I still was able to get some uh, enough movement to get off, off guys' barrels. So, uh, yeah, I didn't really I didn't get crushed by the, uh, the, the high air effect. A lot of times guys with, like, big curveballs uh, that rely on the, the spin catching uh, catching the ball and really take turning it down. Uh, that those guys kind of have to make some adjustments, but I've never been really a big overhand curveball guy. I've been more cutter, slider, change up, two seam. So uh, it's a little bit, a little bit better for me, if you will. But uh, definitely, it's a challenge uh, regardless. You know, you talk about sometimes you you feel like you you know got the breaking ball just on time and it won't break for you, or you got uh, you know sometimes it just won't catch with the the rise on the four seam or the two seam. So it's it's definitely that and the physical aspect of it, you know, trying to catch your breath a little bit, maybe a little bit extra breath in between every pitch because uh, the air is that much thinner. So it's just hard to recover, but uh, it is, it's certainly a good challenge. And uh, I really have had a, you know, been welcomed with open arms with, by the Colorado Rockies and their fans. So I'm really excited to get going. Yeah. It's a good start for you out there in, uh, in Denver. Well, let's talk about this journey. It's always interesting to me, the journey of an athlete and your parents are both great athletes. Your uh, dad played football at Penn state. I think your mom was a swimmer and you went to Archbishop Moeller high school in Cincinnati. I've had a number of guests on who, uh, who made it, uh, you know, in respect of sports at the professional level, who went to Moeller, including Jerry Faust, who was quite a legendary football coach at Moeller. But talk about the love for baseball. Where did that come? How did it build up in you? Were there other sports that you had a passion for? And how did baseball rise to the forefront? Yeah, um, I knew from an early age that uh, baseball was a sport that just kind of connected with me. I loved it. Um, it was always at least tied for my favorite sport, and certainly during baseball season was you know far and away my favorite sport. But when the other seasons were in session, uh, football, basketball, you name it, I was always at least you know still had baseball up, up there as tied with number one. But um, yeah, I loved playing all sports growing up. Um, I played football, basketball, baseball through middle school, and then played basketball and baseball through high school. Uh, and the decision to give up football was, you know, a challenging one. I knew I, it was, wasn't a sport I loved. I liked it. But, um, you know, it was one of those, like, going to a new high school. I, no one else from my middle school went to Archbishop Moeller High School. So it was, I was the new kid there. And it would have helped me socially, I think, playing football freshman year. Uh, but there, I just didn't have the love for the game that I would have needed to really give it my all. And I didn't feel that was right to the team or my teammates that, you know, I would have been on. So I decided to focus on basketball and baseball. And, uh, I it was it ended up being a dream come true. I loved playing for both those programs. Both the coaches in those programs were amazing. Um, I actually got to play for Coach Mike Cameron uh, in his last year of coaching varsity baseball, and then Coach Held Tim Held, who took over and has done an incredible job since then for the baseball program. And then 
Coach Carl Kramer on, on the basketball side was just amazing. We won state my junior year, which was uh, to date one of my favorite sports memories of all time, you know, and just getting rich at the top of something like that is so special. But yeah, it was uh, it was definitely baseball, at least tied for number one my whole life. Plus to play Ron Meyer chatting once again with Brent Suter. He's pitching for the Colorado Rockies right now. He's also a published author. We'll talk about his book, The Binky Bandit. How about that? What a catchy title that is. You know, Brent, Every athlete has to go through adversity, uh, even the great ones. And uh, you had a little dose, if you will, of adversity. You had to get Tommy John surgery. And, uh, and you know, the surgeries are usually quite successful, but still you're undergoing surgery on your arm and you had to deal with injury. Talk about uh, going through that battle with the injury and then ultimately having Tommy John surgery. Yeah, um, it was it was a surprise to me. Um, even when they, you know, I saw the scans, I was like, that looks torn. But I think, I, I hope I'm not, you know, I'm full. I don't hope I don't have to go to, into surgery. Uh, you know, I was throwing 80, 86 at the time, eighty seven. The most Tommy John guys were throwing ninety five plus, so I didn't think I was throwing even hard enough to do it. But uh, I did it kind of on the diving play, so I think it was a non throwing injury that just got worse with the throwing. But uh, Anyways, yeah, it was a it was a big heartbreak at the time. Um, it was like man, I, we were had a really good team going. We thought we could make a run, and we ended up making it almost to the World Series later that year. Uh, and you know, I definitely had some FOMO for that, but I was uh, or I felt like I was missing out on that. But it was so fun to support my teammates going through that journey that uh, kind of made up for it, just being part of the clubhouse and part of the team for that. But uh, the rehab was, it was long. Uh, there were some painful days for sure, but I just, I set out every day and guys who had gone through it before told me just hey, burn yourself, like burn it every day, get after it, sweat through your shirt every day. Uh, this is, this is time to get better, uh, you know, physically, mentally, uh, and, and spiritually. So I, I took it as a time to kind of reset. Um, it was my, I'd been in the league for, for three years, parts of three years at that time. So it was a little kind of reset for me to get myself better and uh, came back the next year and uh, was able to help the team make the playoffs um, the next year, pitching the playoffs. So it was uh, kind of a dream year that next year, but it was a lot of hard work and a lot of, a lot of painful days, some, some anxiety for sure saying, am I ever going to be able to throw mm-hmm. baseball the same way again? But uh, fortunately Dr. Kremchak and Cincinnati and his team were amazing. And so were the, uh, the training staff and the brewers were awesome too, um, especially out in Arizona. So it was, it made for a really, Really good rehab. Yeah, and you're healed and ready to go. You know, uh, I don't think people realize um, you're in playing in the major league level right now. You're in the show, but it, you know, you had to pay your dues, so to speak. You were in towns like uh, or cities like Helena, and uh, you played in Wisconsin and Brevard uh, County Manatees as part of Colorado Springs long bus rides. Uh, it wasn't the glitz and the glamour of major league baseball, and you had to pay your dues. Talk about that journey of. You know, putting in the time, uh, learning to compete, learning to fail, learning to succeed. That had to build character in you and prepared you for where you are now and make those adjustments to be a successful Major League Baseball pitcher. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I was a low-round pick. I was a uh, 31st rounder and picked 965 uh, and, you know, signed for a couple pennies on the dollar kind of thing. So uh, I definitely wasn't high on the Brewers' uh, priority list, but they, to their credit, they always gave me a chance every level they – they threw me out there and, and just said, give it your all. And if you, if you do well, you'll keep moving up. Um, and unfortunately, if you don't do well, we might have to cut you. <laughs> that, that's just the reality of pro ball. But anyways, uh, yeah, I, I got a taste of failure real early. My second outing, I just got uh, in pro ball. I got absolutely crushed. Uh, and it was, it was a tough day for a lot of pitchers on our team. So I remember going out 
that night and just bit with the team and we were all just kind of like, what is going on? And Crowball felt like it was just smacked us right in the face, but uh, was able to make some adjustments after that and ended up getting moved up later that year and kind of just kept staying healthy, pitching well enough to get moved up. And uh, soon enough, but yeah, I was in AAA at my uh, third full season. I've done my third full season and held my own up there. So definitely uh, big leagues were it felt like it was in reach uh, within reach that uh, at the end of that third full season. Um, and then, uh, yeah, was able to actually have a crazy, I went on the Phantom DL that next year. So like, basically we don't want to release you, but we don't have a spot for you on the team right now. Mm-hmm. Just like hang tight, you know, be on the IL, just get your work in and you know, all that stuff and hang out. To a couple months later being in the big leagues uh, I came off the Phantom Island did, and pitched really well and was able to come you know get back on the big leagues but like what I'm trying to say is like it takes a lot of failure and it takes a lot of resilience to get to where you want to be um, really in any profession but especially in baseball it's just such a game of failure and a lot like you said a lot of long, long bus rides and not so glamorous places to play um, but it was all for me, it was all uh, a gratitude thing. I, I just had to keep the perspective of gratitude. Like, hey, I, I was barely able to be in pro ball, so I might as well just t- take everything in and appreciate everything uh, for what it is. And that is a blessing uh, that I've been able to play this game you know, for a living. And uh, so, yeah, it was definitely gratitude, that lens, and uh, just fighting through the failure, uh, making adjustments and being resilient. Those are some of the keys to keeping your head on straight and getting to the big leagues. Well, that's the baseball journey of Brent Suter. On the other side, we'll talk about the faith journey of Brent Suter when Blessed to Play returns after this. No one does Catholic radio the world over. Women made new. The Bear Wozniak Adventure. He was a scholar, a preacher, a Capuchin Franciscan, and a defender of Christendom. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. St. Lawrence of Brindisi was one of the most respected preachers in the 17th century, but he also helped raise an army against the Ottoman Turks when they invaded Hungary in 1601. He led the troops to victory against the Turks, carrying only a crucifix. He was declared a Doctor of the Church in 1959. To find out more about the Doctors of the Church, visit EWTN.com and click on Catholicism. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Welcome back to Blessed to Play. Ron Meyer joined today by Brent Suter. He played ma- most of his Major League Baseball in the city of Milwaukee. He was with the Brewers for seven seasons and now has been picked up by the Colorado Rockies. Be pitching in the rarefied air of Denver, but he handled it quite well when he pitched in AAA for Colorado Springs. So I'm sure he'll make that uh, adjustment very seamlessly. But Brent, I want to talk about something that's greater than your talents, and that is your life of faith. I, I know your mom and dad are very faithful people and uh Knowing them, I know they raised you right, and you went to Archbishop Moeller High School where you had a Catholic formation, education, and I'm sure you had people that influenced your life in that area as well. But talk about why faith is important to you. Yeah, uh, like you said, my parents raised us uh, in a very you know, faith-based household. Uh, we went to church all the time. We're always trying to you know serve others and uh, just trying—they were always, you know, 
instilling in us a value system of others before self uh, and thinking about others and how, how we treat others as being kind of the foremost part of your mind um, as well as, you know, spreading the news about Jesus when, you know, when it's necessary or when, when you can, and if necessary, use words as uh, St. Francis said, but uh, yeah, we, we definitely always had you know, a Christian, a Christian background, a Christian faith. And uh, it was always uh, very, very emphasized in high school as well. Uh, we had a bunch of great role models to go uh, look at how they lived their life, uh, whether it be teachers or pastor ministry leaders or the, the priests that would come and um, help, you know, say mass for us and, and teach and uh, the brothers that were there. So yeah, it was an amazing high school experience for faith. And then I went off to Harvard, which, uh, you know, mm-hmm. everyone would tell me to watch out there, you know, the faithless, you know, you know, you know, uh, you know, uh, whatever they want to call it, a superficial you know, world of academia, uh, be careful for it or whatever. And I found that there were some incredible people there uh, that were totally, uh, you know, faith-based, uh, absolutely lived their life like Jesus would have, would have wanted. Um, and there were a ton of athletes like that too. So we had some great Bible studies. Uh, FCA was on campus. So that was kind of my first introduction to like just Christian, not Catholic, but Christian uh, worship, uh, which I hadn't really been a part of to that point yet. Um, and so that was a really, really great, um, experience for me being part of SCA and being, um, uh, and, uh, athletes in action and so many organizations that were active on campus and the Catholic, uh, ministry that was on campus was really powerful and, uh, really strong. So had some great faith formation going on in college as well. And then in Provo, uh, kind of just more of that, uh, Christian worship and, uh, really opened my eyes and kind of broke down some divisions I had built in my head about, you know, Catholics versus Protestants, all that stuff, you know, you, that you probably hear about, but I just realized like, we're all just one big body of Christ. You know I mean? We really are. If you profess Jesus and believe in Jesus and what he did for us, like you and I are absolutely brothers in Christ. Uh, there's no, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So, uh, that was, yeah, pro ball has been a really powerful experience in that way. Um, just really seeing people for uh, who love Jesus as being being just that, and um, it's been incredible to get to know a lot of the pastor or a lot of the baseball chaplains uh, who are awesome people. Steve Sonderman has been really powerful in my life. He was a Milwaukee Brewers chaplain for um, all the years I was there, and just an amazing person, and, uh, amazing witness to to Jesus, and uh, such a great leader for us. So. Um, absolute kudos to him but uh everybody too teammates coaches uh that were part of the journey along the way of just you know forming my faith and forming everyone around them's faith uh in in the midst of a game that could be so hard you know I mean, so hard to keep your faith sometimes you know i mean with all the failure and all the business-like aspects of it uh so uh it has been you know quite a journey and not finished you know i mean not even close we're never finished product we're always trying to you know, sanctify ourselves, get better and, and holier in, in, in Christ and trying to do that every day. Uh, trying to be the best husband and father I can to my wife and uh, my boys. But uh, that is part of the process and part of the journey of what uh, we call life. You know, I mean, it's, it's just amazing gifts and amazing how God has blessed us. Yeah, and that's an interesting point because I think when you're a major league baseball pitcher and you're playing uh, for many years is that uh, the outside influences, whether it be the media, the fans, are all responding to you based on your talent, right? And you have to have a firm identity of who you are and have that separation of Brent Suter, the baseball player, and Brent Suter, like you said, the father, the man, the the child of God even. 
was that a was that a difficult thing for you to adjust to as you you know gained notoriety at the professional level? Um, it was so it was a little bit harder than I thought it might be uh, because sometimes you know the the polls and the highs and lows of the game can be so dramatic that you know sometimes it, it did have me you know kind of with the tail between my legs and really praying out to God of uh, you know surrender and help and all that but. Uh, it definitely, I, I go through the season and I see guys who don't have a faith life or don't have that kind of, that, that core, uh, hope in their, in their being. And I'm, they, you know, I see the way the game gets them, you know, down and way back up again and down. I'm like, oh my gosh, how, how are they doing this? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Just, it's so, can be so heavy. Um, and, and so, so crazy high, crazy low. So, um, I, I thank my faith and thank, thank Jesus for giving me that kind of eternal hope and eternal peace. Um, there's still waves on the water, no doubt. And there's still ups and downs, but it's more like a reservoir, like a, a deep lake rather than a shallow stream. Um, uh, so that the waves don't, don't ruffle, uh, the, the water at the bottom, if you will. Um, but yeah, it, I'm, I'm looking at some of these guys going, man, just Jesus is right here for you. He can take, give, take some off your shoulders and he can give you some peace. You know what I mean? But, uh, uh, and we talk about it a lot in the clubhouse. Actually, we, we had a lot of good faith talks in the, in the clubhouse in, in Milwaukee the last several years. And um, who knows, maybe we change some guys' minds about that. Um, but but the really big thing is that uh, Jesus is the absolute Savior, and he gives it, gives you a peace unlike any other. That's That's just the fact. Yeah, those are good words there. I want to talk about uh, some of your other talents. Uh, one is that you're a published author, and uh, I guess you have a heart for kids, Brent, well, you have two of them, but uh, you, came, you published a book called The Binky Bandit. And I think uh, one of your dogs were destroying all the binkies. Might be the impetus for this uh, book. But talk about The Binky Bandit. I mean, you've read this book to kindergartners, and they're engaged in your storytelling. Right. Yeah, I'm actually going to my son's school tomorrow and, and reading it. Went to another school last week. So <clears throat> definitely the book readings are still going on. Uh, I wrote it about my dog. Like you said, he was destroying my oldest son's binkies for months on end and uh so i wrote a story about it uh like a rhyming poem to read to liam and then milwaukee magazine published a little thing about that and then a publisher in milwaukee reached out to me saying hey we want to read your story and then they read it and they're like hey we want to publish this (laughs) really okay let me get my agent involved i don't know how this goes from here kind of thing but uh so we were able to get it published and they got a great illustrator Jaden ellsworth who did an unreal job um the illustrations and the storyboard, their, their editors were amazing. We kind of in, intertwined a uh, environmental message into it with uh, Wally realizing all the binkies were making a lot of trash and realizing that if every dog destroyed so many binkies, it'd be tons of trash. And <laughs> so uh, there's, there's an environmental message to it, which uh, goes right along with my faith life as well, you know, care for God's creation. So that's been a big passion of mine too, environmental advocacy and, and efforts. But yeah, we, we worked that in and, uh, if you ask, if I do say so myself, we worked it in rather smoothly. So it makes sense with the story, but uh, it's been a really, really fun experience to be a published author and, and reading these books, reading the book to kids and just, you know, something I created is making these kids, you know, laugh and, and smile and stuff like that. So that's, that's really, really cool. Well, Brent majored, I believe, environmental science at Harvard. So all that at an Ivy League institution, all that hard work, dedication came out in a children's book, right, Brent? That's correct. That's correct. Yeah, I'm not sure if my Xbox 20 
uh, teacher is really proud of me. The, the writing seminar you have to take as a freshman at Expo 20, I'm not sure if he's proud or not, but uh, I sure gave it my all on that children's story. <laughs> <laughs> That's great stuff. Well, I want to talk, you know, when you play at the Major League Baseball as long uh, level, I should say, as long as you have, were there certain players that you looked up to at the start of your career or even as you were engaged in the game itself over the course of these last uh, seven or eight seasons at the, at the big league level? Uh, who were those type of players that you look up to? Yeah, certainly. Um, growing up, my favorite was King Griffey Jr., for sure. Um, <clears throat> I just wanted wanted to be just like him. And then I realized uh, probably in high school or college that uh, being a center fielder <clears throat> with massive speed and massive power probably wasn't my, my game. So I became I watched a lot of left-handed pitchers, and I really loved watching Cliff Lee, Mark Burley, and David Price. You know, those were some of my guys watching, watching pitch. Loved how they competed. And <clears throat> some of them, like Burley, kind of had a – Similar profile as mine, you know, not a crazy velo guy, but just changing speeds, uh, using movement, and executing pitches, and all that. So uh, he was he was somebody I really latched on to for sure. Uh, and then uh, coming up through the Brewer system, I'd say Kyle Loesch was a guy who we uh, I really looked up to. He was kind of towards the end of his career with the Brewers, but he was super super dialed in, great mental approach. He would talk to us minor leaguers sometimes and just talk about, hey, just this pitch, you know, this pitch, whatever's happened before, screw that. Whatever's going to happen, you, don't, you can't worry about that. Control this pitch and convict, you know, throw this pitch with as much conviction as you can. So I always remember that, and he was a guy I looked up to. And then when I when I got to the big leagues, Matt Garza was there, uh, and the guy named Blaine Boyer was there who was really great uh, as a bullpen leader but also as a as a Christian and as a guy who, he was able to pour into me uh, and really kind of be my Paul. And I was Timothy for the, you know, the whole big league experience, if you will. So that was uh, really special. I'll never forget that. Um, and, you know, he's just, he's just an amazing person. So um, that, those are some of the guys who I definitely remember growing up. Uh, but Ken Griffey Jr. was just absolutely my guy growing yeah. up. He was always my guy. Yeah, Hall of Famer, quite a player, and uh, right there uh, in Cincinnati where he meted his hometown when Brent Suter has been our guest. Uh, well, quite a pitcher, folks, definitely a talented individual, uh, but he has more aspirations than just his talent on the baseball field, a very character-driven athlete based on faith, and also the author, the published author of a book called The Binky Bandit. If you want a copy, just go on to Amazon. You know a little kid who could use one? Hey, there you go. Read him the Binky Bandit. Brent, thanks so much. I do appreciate the time. It's been a joy following your career back when it was in A-ball. I'm glad you're doing well at the Major League Baseball. Thank you for sharing your story right here on Blessed to Play. All right. Thanks, Ron. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. Hey, Blessed to Play fans, check us out on the web at blessedtoplay.com. That's blessed2play.com. You can like us on Facebook. Hit us up on Twitter at Blessed to Play. For Brent Suter, I'm Ron Meyer. We'll catch you next time right here on Blessed to Play. You've been listening to Blessed to Play with host Ron Meyer on the EWTN Global Catholic Network. If you have a question or comment about today's show, feel free to email us at info at blessedtoplay.com. That's blessed, the number two, play.com. You can also connect with the show on the web at www.blessedtoplay.com. Again, that's blessed, the number two, play.com. Join us again next time for Blessed to Play on the EWTN Global Catholic Network.